good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We invite all those who are able to stand for the reading of Scripture this morning out of respect for God's Word and with solidarity with Christians around the world. Our first reading comes to us from Psalms chapter 19. Listen now as we attend to the wisdom of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple, and the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thanks be to God. Let's stand for our second and our third lessons. The second lesson from the Gospel of Luke and the third lesson will be from the letter to the Hebrews. We turn to the second chapter. We begin with the eighth verse of the second chapter and we pick up in the middle of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Listen for God's Word. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom He favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll turn to the letter to the Hebrews, deeper into the New Testament. In the seventh chapter, one of the characteristics about Hebrews is that it, uh, it speaks about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It, it reveals to us Jesus as our high priest. The job of a priest is to present God to the people and the people to God. The priest is the one who brings the sacrifices of the people to offer to God. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is that high priest who presents us to God and God to us. But more than that, Jesus is not only the one who brings the sacrifice, Jesus is the very sacrifice to God for once and for all. We hear about the priesthood of Melchizedek, this mysterious priesthood that first arrives in Scripture in the Old Testament in Genesis with Abraham. But this writer in the New Testament picks up on that theme of Melchizedek. So I'm going to begin at verse 18 and read through 28. Listen to the Word of God. There is on the one hand the abrogation of an earlier commandment because it was weak and ineffectual. For, for the law made nothing perfect. There is, on the other hand, the introduction of a better hope through which we approach God. This was confirmed with an oath. For others who became priests took their office without an oath. But this one became a priest with an oath because of one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. Accordingly, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests. He has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So we are trying to comprehend Christmas through the season of Advent, we are looking at different dimensions of Christ's love. We are using the text from Ephesians 3.18 on the cover of your bulletin at the bottom of that beautiful rendering of the Christ child where Paul prays 
for the church. Prays for us that we might have the power with all the saints to be able to comprehend the width, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. The first week of Advent, we looked at the the dimension of God's love in all of its wideness. We're reminded that the wideness of God's love is wider than anything that separates us from God. God's love is able to reach across the chasm of our sin that divides us from God and from one another. And God in God's love pulls us together. God can reach us by the length of His reach, by the, by the width of His reach, no matter where we are. The second Sunday, last week, we talked about how long is God's love, and we, dis- we considered God's love in a sense of time. How long is God willing to wait for us? And we thought of God's love in the sense of patience, and how we are called to be a patient people in light of God's patient waiting for us as we wait for Jesus' return in the same way God waits for our return to Him. And so this morning we will consider the height of God's love. How high is the love of God in Jesus Christ? Maybe someone saw the sermon title go up on the marquee, the sermon title, Higher Than the Heavens, and someone pulled me aside and made a little quip are you going to preach about the new law in Colorado? Okay, think about that. Bad joke. And now stop thinking about that. And will you go to God in prayer with me? Let us pray. Holy God, this season of Advent, our march to Christmas is in full swing. Joy and anticipation are on the rise, and so is our anxiety, and maybe for some of us a bit of dread with all that this season entails. We are filled with all the highs and lows of the intensity that Christmas can bring, yet we, by Your grace, bring ourselves to You now. Receive us as we are, as we come to the only place that we know, and ask that You would draw close to us as we draw close to You. That we in this season, as Your limited and fallible people, might come to know You in all of Your fullness, in the fullness of this season, in the quiet of this hour, Center us now, holy God, and show us by Your grace Your very self. And we will praise You through Your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And we pray in His name. Amen. How high is God's love? We'll look up. One of the ways to try to comprehend the heights of God's love is to look up not just into the ceiling of this beautiful sanctuary, but to look up into the heavens. For the psalmist exclaims, as we read in Psalm 19 this morning, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament firmament proclaims God's handiwork day 
Today, it pours forth speech. Night to night declares the knowledge of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Look up. The idea of the enormity of God, the heights of God's love as the Creator of all that is seen and unseen is stretched out above our heads. How many of you saw the meteor shower last night? How many of you were aware there was a meteor shower last night? Okay, I didn't see it last night either. Full confession here. But I did get up very early this morning, as I typically do, and walk the dogs. And the, the sky was still dark. A half moon was perched there. But even in the midst of that light, I still caught glimpse of a meteor or two streaking across the sky. This, past, this, this weekend, we were informed that we're in the midst of a, a, of a geminid meteor shower that comes about this time of the year, or has most recently. It is called 3200 Phaethon, is the name of this meteor showered, which is previously believed to be an asteroid. And so what we are seeing in this meteor shower are huge hunks of ice or rubble from outer space that are brushing the edge of our atmosphere and catching on fire as it is. And the heavens are telling the glory of God. You know, throughout the existence of humankind, men and women have looked to the heavens to try to understand God, this Creator, to seek to know God in a more full way. Even our Westminster Confession from our book of Confession says that God is known by, quote, light of nature and works of creation. When we seek to know God, we can look at the heavens. We can look at nature and understand something of the character of this God who creates all things. And the more we discover, the more we know about the heavens, the greater our appreciation for this Creator God. Science should not in any way scare or inhibit us as Christians. In good Reformed theology, we embrace all of what the science has revealed to us and the height of our intellect will reveal to us about this place in which we find ourselves because the more we know about this creation, the more we can understand and appreciate the Creator. What we know about space tells us, tells us a lot about the Most High God. Scientists have done a lot of study and speculation and research about the heavens and this place where we find ourselves on this tiny little furry speck in the midst of a grand universe. Do you know how far the universe stretches in all directions around us? Scientists are saying, many of them are saying that to either direction around us, we would have to travel 48 billion light years to reach the edge of the known universe. 
try to travel there in your mind and it will give you a headache. How far is that anyway? Well, a light year is, is not a measure of time, but is actually a measure of distance. How far does light travel in a year? Well, to help us comprehend this home in which we find ourselves, these high heavens around us, let me try to put it this way. This, the circumference of the earth is about 25,000 miles. Now, if you were to take that line around the center of the earth and stretch it out like a measuring tape and then multiply it by 7.5, so 25,000 times 7.5 will give you the distance that light travels in one second. Now, multiply that by the minutes, by the years, by 48 billion light years. It's a big universe. It's a big God. How high is the love of God. God is revealing God's self in His creation. And the heavens are telling the glory of God. In theological terms, this is God's self-disclosure. What we can see and perceive by contemplating evidence of God's presence in the world of nature, of history, of astronomy, of life in general. This is what is known as general revelation in a theological technical term. General revelation is the movement from us to God. We are seeking to understand God and we are able to do that through these general revelations. Another way of knowing God, the theologians say, the other side of this revelation corn is called special revelation. And what that is, is God's coming to us in specific and particular ways. God seeking us. God finding us. And God has chosen to reveal God's self through the history of Israel, through the witness of Scripture, through the gift of His Son, His very self in Jesus Christ. And God has chosen to reveal God's self in the very essence of the community that is the church, the body of His Son. That is special revelation. You see the difference between the two? Us trying to find God and God revealing God's self to us. But what I want to talk about for the next couple of moments is this idea of general revelation, of our seeking God. You might agree with me that, that, that through history and many times we feel like we can get closer to God and maybe understand God a little better if we can get up a little bit higher, like on a mountain. I leaned over to Nathan and said, she's preaching my sermon. Debbie Spear. And then when she got finished, he said, did she? And I said, well, yes, but they're going to have to listen to mine anyway. But I want to think about mountains for just a moment. Mountaintops are important. God has been calling people to mountaintops for quite some time. Think about Abraham and Isaac and their journey that finds them on a mountaintop. Moses on Sinai, a mountaintop. Noah and the ark 
land after the flood on a mountaintop. The psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountaintops. And the prophet says, get you up to a high mountain, O herald of good tidings. Mountaintop experiences, maybe you've had them, your own. It is a place where the world looks different when we get up above it. We get a different perspective. We breathe clearer air. Our problems don't look so large and imposing. The world seems smaller and tidier to us. Mountaintop experiences can be important points of revelation for us. I remember probably the most significant mountaintop experience that I had was when I had finished college and, and went to Kenya, Africa to teach high school there for a year. And during one of the breaks that the students had, which happened to be the one I'm thinking of in April of that year, 1984, I went with a fraternity brother, a fellow graduate from Davidson College, and we endeavored to see some of the game in Kenya and Tanzania and to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest mountain on the continent of Africa. And so we climbed for two days with our guide and got to 15,000 feet to the, to the base of Kibo, which is the snow-covered hump on the top of that massive mountain. And the way that you climb Mount Kilimanjaro, if you're fortunate enough to be successful, is to get up early on the third day and to climb in the dark to the east, the, the, the tallest point on the eastern rim. It's called Gilliman's Point. And there, if you have a good guide, and you're in good enough shape, you wait for the sun to rise from below the clouds. Have you ever seen a sunrise from 19,000 feet? Let me tell you, it's a religious experience. And you feel very close to God. Mountains are important to get us up, to see things differently. But we do not live there on mountaintops. We live down here, do we not? And sometimes down here, God's love seems a little more difficult to find and more out of reach. We can sense the presence of God's love, but it's hard to grasp. It feels like it is too high. I cannot attain it. And some of us believe that that is where God stays. High, lifted up, unattainable, aloof, removed, detached, uncaring, lofty. Where are you, God? Your love is great, it is high, but it is not present nor available. And many of us feel that way sometimes. It was at least two decades ago that the song came out. You may remember it. Bette Leachman did it, and I think there was another famous singer that did it. From a distance, the world looks green and blue, and the snow-capped mountains white. And the refrain was, God is watching us. God is watching us. You remember it? Don't make me sing it. God is watching us. 
from a distance. And sometimes God feels distant and removed, just watching. And some of us are okay with that if we're honest about it. Yes, there is a God. Yes, God does love, but don't get too close to me, God. Some of us may think or at least live that way. God, you are at arm's length. You are high and lifted up, and quite frankly, I like it that way. Because a God of that majesty and glory, I don't want to get too close to me. I don't want that God to get too involved in my stuff and in my life. Thank you very much, God. From a distance is just fine with me. But the God that we know through His special revelation to us will not leave us alone. Yes, it is true, we are not able to climb high enough to attain reaching God. But it is God who reaches down to reveal Himself to us in all of His completeness through the history of Israel, through the power and the truth and the beauty of His Word, through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and yes, even in our midst as we seek to be the body of Christ in these days and times. God is that one who has come close to us as our priest, our high priest, the one that shows us God and shows God to us. And the one who brings us together by the very gift of His life. In Jesus Christ, we see the God who is the Creator, the God of holiness and height, willing to come down into our messiness. The God of righteousness, willing to come down into our sinfulness. And this is an awesome thing. How do we understand this? Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite writers, and he writes about Christmas in such a way that I keep coming back to it because it penetrates my understanding of Christmas and what this season and what this gift is all about. Frederick Buechner writes in this way, The lovely old carols played and replayed till their effect is like a dentist drill or a jackhammer. The pathetic banalities of the pulpit and the chilling commercialism almost of almost everything else, people spending money that they can't afford on presents that they neither want nor need, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, the plastic tree, the cornball crash, the hallmark virgin, yet for all of our efforts, we've never quite managed to ruin it. That in itself is part of the miracle, a part you can see. Most of the miracle you can't see or don't. And then he tells this story. He tells a story of a young clergyman and his wife who had, got, who had done everything they were supposed to do to get ready for Christmas on Christmas Eve. 
They had brought out the stockings. They had decorated the tree. They had put the children to bed. They hauled the presents down from the attic. And they were getting ready to get into bed. And the young pastor remembered his neighbor's sheep that he said that he would take care of while his neighbors were away. So he put on his coat and his boots and he walked down the hill to the barn. And there he encountered the sheep. So he turned on the light in the little barn from a low ceiling, a 40-watt bulb hanging from a single wire. He went to the hay and broke it into sections and began to spread it among these bumbling, innocent-faced animals as they shyly got closer and finally began eating. And just as he was ready to turn out the light and make his way back to his home, he realized where he was and when it was, and he almost missed it. Where was he? He was in the manger. And he only just saw it, Beekner writes. He whose business it is above everything else to have an eye for such things is all but blind in that eye. He who on his best days believes that everything that is most precious anywhere comes from that manger might easily have gone home to bed never knowing that he himself had just been in the manger. The world is the manger. And as I read this at 8.45 in the chapel, the wail of a siren almost drowned out my voice. The world in which we find ourselves was impinging into that worship space saying, yes, the world is the manger. And it is messy and it is hard. But let's not miss the miracle in the midst of the life that we are living. And Beekner says it is only by grace that he happened to see this other part of the miracle. For Christmas itself is by grace. It could never have survived our own blindness and depredations otherwise. It could never have happened otherwise. Perhaps it is the very wildness and strangeness of this grace that has led us to try to tame it. We have tried to make it habitable. We have tried to roof it and furnish it. We have reduced it to an occasion that we feel at home with, at best a touching and beautiful occasion, at worst a trite and cloying one. And I would say we have in some cases tried to keep it at arm's length. But if the Christmas event in itself is indeed as a matter of cold hard fact, all that it is cracked up to be, then even the best, at best our efforts are misleading. And he finishes this way, the Word become flesh. Ultimate mystery born with a skull you could crush one-handed. Incarnation. It is not tame. It is not touching. It is not beautiful. It is uninhabitable terror. It is unthinkable darkness riven with unbearable light. Agonized laboring led to it. Vast upheavals of intergalactic space, time split apart, a wrenching and tearing of the very sinews of reality itself. You can only cover your eyes and shudder before it, before this God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and our salvation, as the Nicene Creed puts it, came down from heaven. 
came down. Only then do we dare uncover our eyes and see what we can see. It is the resurrection and the life that she holds in her hands. It is the bitterness of death He takes at her breast. God's love is very high. It is above the highest heaven. And it is from that place, from God's holiness and righteousness, His otherness, His majesty, His magnificence, His purity, His perfection, from that height, God has come down. Come down right here to seek and to find us. God has come down and revealed Himself in the gift of His Son wrapped in flesh who came to live and to love, to laugh and to cry, to give and to die and to rise and to save. And so, yes, we can look to the highest heavens for they are telling of the glory of God. And we can look right here where we live, where we hope, where we dream, where we struggle, where we fall down, where we get it wrong, where we get up, where we persevere, where we laugh, where we cry, where we question, where we live, and where we love. We can look right here, for the God of the highest heaven has come down. And so let us, my brothers and sisters, let us sing with the angels of their good news and tell and show the world glory to God, yes, in the highest heaven, and glory to God on earth among those with whom God is well pleased. Alleluia and amen. Will you pray with me? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell, O come to us. Abide with us, our Lord. Emmanuel. Amen.